It is the People's Show. Dan Richo and Brendan Batchelor. Manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps, Vanny Sartini, is going to join us here in a few moments. They made a uh, substantial signing today. In MLS terms, a TAM signing. But because nobody really understands that mechanism within the MLS salary structure, it, they made a nice signing today. <laughs> Austrian international Alessandro Schupf is uh, now a member of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, Vanny will join us in a moment. Turf Trivia, we just uh, gave you the question, and we have a winner for Turf Trivia. It is heading to Abbotsford. Minor Matt in Abbotsford with the correct answer, the Vancouver Whitecaps 2022 Canadian Club Champs, and it was CF Montreal, Club de Foot Montréal, that held the title last year. Minor Matt, you've just won four tickets to the BC Lions August 6th against the Edmonton Elk at BC Place. Now joining us on the People's Show, he is uh, a man of the people. It's Vanny Sartini, head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps. How's it going, Vanny? Good, guys. How are you? Uh, we're, we're doing pretty well. Uh, pre- pretty uh, pretty impressive signing today with Alessandro Schupp. How, how do you like the player? Well, I like him, yeah, very much. You know, I think we, think we did a – we have this chance because he – he ran out of contract with uh, with Arminia Bielefeld, uh, the club that he was playing in uh, in, in Bundesliga, and um, you know we had the chance. Uh, so Axel uh, Schuster worked with him when he, when they were together at Schalke, so he knew him. Uh, we had the possibility to let's say present to him our project, our idea, and uh, he liked it, and uh, he decided to. To sign for us, a very he's a good player. He's someone who's going to help our midfield for sure. Yeah, what type of a player is he? How would you describe the way he plays, and what can fans expect to see from him once he steps onto the pitch with the Whitecaps? Yeah, he's very good in uh, pressing uh, the ball. He's very good in attacking the space. He can play combination play. I would say, if you want to give him a label, he can is kind of a box to box midfielder. Mm-hmm. In our system that we're playing, like with the the three defenders, the the four midfielders, and the, the three and the three guys up top, I think he can play mainly one of the two central central midfielder position, and uh, also one of the two kind of number ten behind the number nine. So those are the those are the position that uh, probably will be um, it will be used more. Do you feel you, you your midfield is is sort of settled now? It, it kind of feels like a position that's that's been in transition for the club for the last couple of seasons. Well, you know, we already did um, a good acquisition during the this window with uh, with Andres Kubas. To be honest, uh, mm-hmm. um, Rusty Tybert uh, is has been very, uh, I would say, consistent during since I've been the head coach last from last year, and uh, even Sebastian Berhalter. Young guys that we picked up at the beginning of the season, he showed uh, his quality. We still have Leo, Uwusu. So now with Alessandro, it's gonna, I think we're going to have uh, kind of uh, a lot of options and uh, that, 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 that will help us for sure in the, in the fight to try to get the playoff. What can it do for the team overall to bring in a player of his stature in the game, you know, capped for the Austrian team, has played in the Bundesliga? How big of an addition is that with the experience he has at, at high levels in Europe? 
yeah, I think it's 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 uh, first of all it's uh, the fact that uh, uh, the way that he that he enters the group, you know, even if he played, he's an international player, but he's he's uh, he's hungry and to to be part of the group, and uh, he's uh, I would say he's looking forward to be part of the group. And then when when you sign players like this, we we saw like last year with Ryan Go, we 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 saw this year with with Kubas. All the players benefit. All the players around them benefit from a, from a signing like this, and uh, the level of competition at training get higher. So everyone is uh, kind of stimulated to to do the best, and uh, and uh, everyone is uh, going to be helped to 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 play their best level of soccer. So I think it it, it can be, I would say, a, a, a huge signing in in for this ripple effect too. How do you feel about uh, this season and how it's played out so far with your team? I think we are, let's say, in a scale from 1 to 10, uh, I would give us a 6 for the moment. We we got the cup. It's a big achievement that make make the season sufficient, I would say. But uh, uh, we need to bring uh, the, the season at least on a 7 out of 10, qualifying for the playoffs. And... Uh, uh, because that would be that would be fantastic. We had a very bad start, to be honest. The first eight games weren't that good, but then after that, we we basically changed completely pace and we started winning games. And uh, we are uh, there in the in the mix of the team that uh, can reach the playoff. It's going to be hard. We, we need to do at least uh, kind of 18, 19 points in 11 games at least in order to. In order to to go to the playoff, but uh, um, we're there, so uh, we we have the duty, I would say, to try to make it. Uh, you, you pulled off the miracle last year. Why can't you do it again? Well, you know, <laughs> uh, that that that's why we are here. To be honest, I have to be honest. I have to be honest that uh, I think the team this year, in this moment, we are in a in a such a good mood and the team is settled and uh, we know our system that uh, he, it's not a miracle if you make it it's because it i think we 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 are uh, we 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 need at least to fight till the end because uh, because it's in, it's in our possibility and uh, not making the playoff uh, again wouldn't be uh, like a disaster but uh, it just would would make our season like a sufficient season and we want to end the season to be a good season yeah and you touched on winning the canadian championship obviously a great accomplishment for the club you know much like you talk about how a a new signing can have a a ripple effect through your squad what about winning a trophy mid-season and allowing that to be a platform that you can build upon going forward in major league soccer yeah yeah i agree with you i think you could have seen it even from the in the game in nashville uh, right after the Canadian Championship, we were so tired uh, after the midweek game and the celebration and the l- l- long flight to Nashville. But uh, even if we were down, uh, I, th- I have to be honest, I don't think that two months ago we could have found the strength to play a fantastic second half like, like we did and, uh, and uh, scoring a goal, deserving to score and, and also uh, threatening them to win the game. So... Uh, the the fact that we won at competition, I think it gave us the com- the confirmation that we are a good team, and uh, we show up when we have to do big games. But we need to start to show up even on every game because that's what good teams do.
you, you mentioned uh, 11 matches uh, still to play. Alessandro just coming into the squad has been training a little bit. Uh, how, how quickly do you think you can integrate him and get him into a match? I think uh, we, we, it's hard to put, to put uh, let's say, a date, uh, but let's say as fast as we can. Uh, so today, uh, tomorrow, and the next uh, three, four, five days, uh, it will train mainly like a little bit with the team and, and a lot to, to try to enhance his condition. Then we hope next week to integrate him in uh, kind of uh, full training with the team. And then uh, at the end of next week, we'll, uh, we'll evaluate. From I, I hope that uh, in two weeks he's going to be able to be to be at, uh, at least ready to be part of a game, even if it's not 90 minutes, at the beginning it can be 45 and so on. And as you continue for that push to the playoffs, you've got Houston coming up on Friday. There are two points behind you in the Western Conference standings <laughs> right now. So how important is this game and what do you expect from Houston? Well, it's very important. As I said before, we need to make points and uh, we need to win the game So We need to win the game soon. If we win all the games home and then we win a game away, we are in the playoffs. So it's extremely important and the pressure is on us to try to make the three points. Uh, it's tricky what to expect from Houston. They had a very bad game in Philadelphia, so probably they want to, they want to bounce back. They are a team that are very good in possession. They are they're very structured when they have the ball. They have a clear idea on how to play, how they want to play. But they're also not so organized when they don't have the ball. So what we need to do, I think, it's... Uh, what you guys saw every time that we made a good performance. We need to do a, a solid defensive performance, not allowing space, because then when we have, to, we have, the, when we have the ball, we are very good at doing this uh, fast break uh, in transition and with a direct possession to try to create chances. With the, the, the midfield, you know, you have Ryan Gold now and, and uh, Kubas, and now Alessandro, once he is... He is uh, more integrated into the squad. Um, do you expect to play more of a possession style, or do you continue to to like to play on on the counter and in transition? Uh, well, it's not. Well, everybody loves to have more of the possession of the of the ball in the sense uh, that uh, the more we attack, the better it is. But uh, as a brand of football, in terms of like, I like more when we. Uh, arrive in the uh, in their final third with uh, three passes instead with 15 passes. But you know, that's uh, um, the quality of the player that we're gonna sign. That they're gonna allow us, even in games when we're not gonna have high possession, to have a quality possession when we have the ball and try to uh, arrive in their fi- in the final third of the opposition as fast as we can. Vanny, we uh, we appreciate the time very much. Thank you for this today. No problem at all. Thank you, guys. Uh, there is uh, Vanni Sartini, uh, the manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Exciting signing with uh, Alessandro Schupf uh, as uh, their newest midfielder. It, it does feel like, um, I, I don't know, on a talent-level basis, Batch, this is the, the most talented midfield I've seen here in uh, mm-hmm. with the Whitecaps in, in quite some time. It's going to take a little bit to get him integrated and into the games and into the matches. But, you know, if they can pull this off and get it together for the push to the playoffs, they've got a really interesting team. I just, you know, I wonder if they're able to to make it all work in the final 11 matches of the season. It feels, feels like a little bit late 
late on in the uh, in the in the transcript to make it work. Yeah, and I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see from Vanny's perspective as he talked about. You hope that winning a cup and having a high profile signing coming in are, are a boost to the rest of the squad too that you can push on and and try to make a push for the playoffs. But you know, it gets back to what I sort of hinted at uh, when we were talking earlier about the way that they're building their squad, the the smart signings that they're bringing in to build out their midfield, to build out their, their group overall, rather than chasing some of those high-profile names that we see other teams do in Major League Soccer. This, to me, seems to be the, the prudent way, at least for the Whitecaps, to build a squad and build a team that, you know what, maybe they don't make the playoffs this year, but it allows them to to build a team that can have more sustained long-term success and get to a point where, um, you know, you're bringing in players the caliber of an Alessandro Schopf who's got a 142 Bundesliga caps. Um, if he can come in and integrate well, then it's maybe more of a destination for other players like him, and you build on that and you continue to do business the right way, and in the long term, uh, it ends up being beneficial for your club. So I would imagine that that's what Axel Schuster and Vanny Sartini are hoping uh, with some of these signings that they've had in the last year, like Gold, like Kubis, now Schopf, and and we'll see whether they, they can build on that. Maybe not so much in the short term, although it is certainly still there for them if they can have a good run into the end of the season uh, that they could make the playoffs. But in the long term, I like what these signings indicate about the way this club is going to do business uh, going forward. He wants Alessandro to... Schopf. There it is. Uh, <laughs> I love the name. I do, and I love the pronunciation. Schupf. Um, You know, the one thing I will say, and, and I know, um, not that I cover the team closely, but I know how Whitecaps fans would like to see a more possession style of play. Uh, who wouldn't, as Vanny said there. But he's clearly trying to build a team that doesn't play that way it's one thing if you are trying to play a more possession style of football and you're acquiring players to play that way but you're not able to execute it you know he clearly wants to be a team and would like to be a team that wins the ball and progresses it quickly hits the team while they are on their back foot while they are in transition and he wants to build a counter-attacking style in that way and it looks like they've picked out some midfielders that can do that and can pick that pass, can find that play. And one of the other things that I don't think gets talked about enough is just BC place in general. You play half of your games on that turf. It's hard to play possession style football on that turf. You have to play a quick style of game in order to make it work. And I think their stadium, their confines, albeit, not optimal for the best play. This is probably the way you would want to play to make the most of how your stadium is and the environment that it creates for a soccer match at BC Place. Yeah, and you know one of the things about playing that style is you have to have players that can play that style too, right? If you want to be a pressing team, mm -hmm. if you want to be quick in transition, you've got to have players that, that are fit that 
that can can play that style. And one of the things, you know, doing a little bit of reading about Alessandro Schopf today is that, you know, he he has that engine. He can be that kind of player. So it's clearly, you know, not just a, a high caliber of player that they've signed, but a player that fits the way they want to play and the way they think they have to play to have success as well. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Brendan Batchelor here on uh, on Canuck Central. Uh, we we got into it a little bit with Donnie Batch, but um, your Mount Rushmore of broadcasters, our Mount Rushmore of broadcasters. I don't think it's too much of a doubt that Vin Scully is there for me, at least. Um, he was incredible. We talked about that a little bit in that segment with Don Taylor. There are just some broadcasters, some play-by-play men that have a natural ability to bring the most out of a moment. And of course it's, you know, part of it is at least for me when, when I've done play-by-play and you're obviously more regular to the position as the Canucks play-by-play man, but uh, my mindset has always been, um, you know, you kind of have to check your ego at the door a little bit because you're just there to to make the game better, to bring the most out of that moment, not to be the star. And I prefer when those like Vin Scully and my favorites doing it, th- those that I've tried to emulate at different points of my career, uh, were the ones that you know really just knew how to bring the most out of a moment. Not to be the moment, but bring the most out of a moment. Absolutely. That's something that you have to be cognizant of anytime you're calling a game is it's it's not about you, right? It's it's about what the players are doing on the ice. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm very lucky that I get the opportunity to call Canuck games and and people get to listen to them. But it's it's not about me having my cool line or 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 getting a, a joke in or anything like that. It's about doing justice to what's happening on the ice or in Vin Scully's position on the baseball diamond. And, um, you know, you're right. When you look at a Mount Rushmore of sports broadcasters, he absolutely has to be on it. He's probably the first person you would put on it Mm -hmm. um, with a bullet just because of, of the way he called the game. He didn't make it about himself. It was very conversational. It was almost like, you know, you were having a a chat with a friend. And I know that he strove to make the game that way, which, of course, baseball, you know, is a much different pace than hockey. So it's it's much easier to tell stories while the play is going on. And he was an absolute master of that, too. I I watched a clip uh, that was going around on Twitter last night of him telling a story about how a player – you know, killed a rattlesnake in the wild. And then there was a rabbit that was in its stomach that was still alive and they nursed it back to health. And he's telling this story all while calling this players at bat. And it was Mm -hmm. seamless and he wrapped it up beautifully. And, you know, it's a real art uh, that, that Vin Scully had. And, you know, it's, it's certainly been missed since he retired in 2016. And uh, it's going to be missed even more now that he's left us at the age of 94. Uh, Dom, you wanted to weigh in? Uh, of the current active uh, play-by-play men, uh, mm-hmm. since you're talking about Mount Rushmore's, I think uh, Kevin Harlan has to be on many people's uh, Mount Rushmore's. Not just for just because he's just fantastically good and he can call anything, 
but um, he's very good at adapting to a situation as it happens live. Yes. And uh, September 2016, NFL, uh, the Rams were playing. This was in playing. 2016? Wow, yeah. I feel old. Rams are playing the 49ers. I think Josh has me up on the board. And um, boring game. It's the fourth quarter, and I'll let Kevin take it away. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat and a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's at the 30. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. Now he runs the opposite way. He runs at the 50. He runs at the 40. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. The 20, they're chasing him. They're not going to get him. Waving his arms, bare-chested. Somebody stop Look that out. man. Here comes the blue coat, Kevin. Oh, they got him. Here comes they're coming the from the coat. left. Oh, and they tackle him at the 40-yard line. I love Kevin Harlan. He's he can do any sport, and if something happens during he I think he did one where a cat came on the field, and he called that too. Yep. I love Kevin Harlan. Oh, the the best line from that clip by far is the man is drunk, but there he goes. <laughs> like it's it's so perfect. Uh, Harlan he he's got an iconic call too. Um, yeah. Even even in basketball, the bang, you know, just um, so so good with Kevin Harlan. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to soccer, and you know, a lot of people would say Martin Tyler or John Champion, and I get it. I think Peter Drury has the best oh, call of anyone in soccer history, and that might I don't know if that's a hot take elsewhere, but Peter Drury's call is absolutely in, incredible, and um. He, he would be on my Mount Rushmore right now as well. Yeah, the thing I love about Peter Drury is, his, is the way he complements big moments or big matches with, with his use of language, right? Like the, the things he will say, the way he'll describe, you know, big moments is like nothing I've ever heard. It's something I, I try to emulate as well because I think he does it so tremendously. Um, that's a, that's a tremendous take. I, I wasn't thinking soccer when I was looking at my Mount Rushmore and trying to decide who I'd put on it. But Peter Drury is a really good shout reach. Uh, Kevin and Coquitlam, uh, with a shout for Jim Hewson. Uh, Mark, it's, it's Jim Robson for me. Yeah. If we're talking Canuck broadcasters and, and certainly one of the best hockey voices we've ever heard. Someone that, uh, you know, paved the way for for many of us in Vancouver that have come along since then, whether it's, you know, Jim Hewson or Shorty or myself or Rick Ball, who's in Calgary now. Uh, I bet you if you asked any one of those guys, and I'll certainly say it as well, Jim Robson had a huge impact on me growing up and, and getting into this line of work. Uh, vote uh, from Marcus coming in on uh, Matt Devlin with the Raptors games. Um, Jazz from Surrey. I, I thought we might get this take from someone, and I don't think it's that outlandish. But Jim Ross, the legendary WWE broadcaster, now uh, I think he does AEW now. I don't know. He does. I, yeah. I, I don't watch enough wrestling to to know. But look, I get it. Wrestling's a show, and 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 all of this. But Jim Ross was very much a big part of the show, and to me the best at doing that. I mean, come on, the slobber knockers and a, by God, he's there. You know, like, Oh, who, ha who doesn't have a Jim Ross impression in their back pocket? Me. Because he's just so legendary. Oh, exactly. Well, and the other thing about memorable 
broadcasters is their unique sound. Yes. And there has never been a more unique play-by-play caller of anything than than Jim Robson and his sound and uh you know the way he complimented what what was happening in wrestling as well like I haven't called wrestling personally but I know that one of the the biggest things that a wrestling announcer has to do is to to help complement what's happening in the ring to help along with the match they're much more a part of mm-hmm. what's happening in wrestling than than announcers are in any other sport or any other entertainment really i think because you know they're trying to build up man the good guy is really good and this bad guy's dastardly and mm. i'm gonna tell you about how awful he is yep. so you have to hate him like they're more a part of the actual show than any other sport and and jim ross was so good and continues to be uh even though you know he's at an advanced age now of of having that big moment call and really complimenting a wrestling match uh it is dan Riccio, brendan bachelor we are the people's show grant wall is next on sportsnet 650 It is the People's Show, Dan Richo and Brendan Batchelor. Grant Wall is going to join us here in a uh, couple of moments. A lot of uh, votes coming in on uh, some of the best play-by-play voices we've we've heard. Howie Meeker in the NHL. That's a throwback coming in on the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line. Al Michaels or John Madden. Al Michaels still very good. Pat Summerall as well. A lot of uh, a lot of football votes. I guess we we do watch a lot of football on television. Uh, so some great names. Appreciate all the texts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Let's bring in our next guest. It's Stan Richo and Brendan Bachelor. Now happy to be joined by Grant Wall. Thanks for this, Grant. Uh, we we we've been talking a lot about the women's Euro and and just some of the fallout out of it. Uh, England finally getting a major trophy. That was that was great. Um, but also, you know, just the, the attention, the attendance, the TV numbers, this was a really big moment, not just for women's soccer, but I think for women's sport in general. Yeah. I mean, on, on my site, grantwall.com, the story that I wrote was about how this was England's version of 1999 in the United States. And, um, you know, that summer of 99 was a transcendent sports mo- a transcendent moment that went beyond sports and became a cultural touchstone in much the same way that uh, England winning the Euros in England on home soil felt like. You know, being in that stadium the other day at Wembley and seeing how that team was responded to, it was absolutely incredible. One of the more historic things I've ever been lucky enough to witness in person. And we've seen the women's game continue to grow leaps and bounds, you know, recently, not just in England, but you look at Real Madrid and Barcelona playing in the Women's Champions League this past year in front of more than 90,000 fans. It really feels like there's a lot of momentum behind women's soccer right now, not just in England because of England winning the Euros, but but maybe further beyond that and and more globally as well. Yeah, Barcelona got in excess of 90,000 people for two separate Champions League games last season. And 
you know, that's something we've never seen before. So it's happening in different parts of the world. And this summer, there was no men's World Cup going on like there typically would be. And so there really was maybe more attention being paid to the women's continental tournaments and not just UEFA uh, and not even just CONCACAF, but uh, the African Women's Championship in Morocco. Morocco got to the final and they had crowds in excess of 45,000 in Morocco for a team that qualified for its first Women's World Cup ever next year. So, yes, there's a ton of momentum right now around women's soccer. And with a World Cup next year and 32 teams being in it, more than they've had before, they had 24 at the last Women's World Cup, I think you're going to see all sorts of records being set for television audiences for women's soccer in countries around the world. Grant Wall joining us. Uh, you can check out his work, grantwall.com. And, you know, you mentioned the 99 moment. And, you know, for a long time, the U.S., you know, dominating the, the, the women's game. And, um, you know, now, you know, Canada, we, we win the Olympic golds uh, last year. And it, it's there's been a push to get our own women's league. We've seen in Europe that, that the club teams have, have really taken off. It just... It, it seems as though you know the U.S. was the the trailblazer for for women's soccer, but the rest of the world is definitely catching up now. No, it's definitely the case, and so there are a lot of questions about right now. Have the European teams bypassed the U.S. women? You know, I mean, the U.S. has still won the last two Women's World Cups, so they can definitely point to that. But the, the European club game has advanced. The European national teams have advanced. And so I think that's uh, a fair question to ask, especially when you see what happened. The U.S. women didn't perform as well at the Olympics and, and Canada beat them and, and won the gold medal. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a really fascinating time right now for women's soccer. And, and I think it was good this summer to have the focus on the women's game. Grant Wall with us here on the People Show on Sportsnet 650. Want to change gears with the Premier League season getting underway later this week? Uh, when you look at uh, the hierarchy, I guess in the Premier League going into the season, uh, of course, last year it was a two-horse race between Liverpool and Man City. Do you expect that to be the case again this year? Is it one of those two clubs that that will walk away with the title at the end of the day? I certainly feel like that's the case, and I know that. Chelsea and Man United and Arsenal would love to say that they'll be involved in, in a title race. But, you know, I, I think if you step back and you see what Liverpool and Man City have done over multiple seasons now, they are just so much the class of the Premier League. And, uh, you know, Liverpool, I, I still think, isn't as deep. And, and so, like, they can't really afford to have any injuries to – to major players like they had to Van Dyke two seasons ago, because that really you know, hurts them in a way that I think Man City's depth doesn't allow as much. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a Liverpool-Man City season again. And, you know, as long as there's a title race, I, I like that. I, I would prefer not to see one team just run away from everybody. It kind of feels When it comes to Erling Holland uh, joining Manchester City, how do you see him fitting in there? Is he going to, you know, allow them now that they have that elite level striker to vault to another level or, or, you know, how will he integrate into that team? You know, my gut tells me that Holland will do great 
at City. And you're right, that's a position at center forward that they really didn't have last season. And so having a player of his quality, of his potential, uh, in theory should be great. The question I had watching the game against Liverpool last week in the Community Shield, I was talking to a friend and I was like, is there any chance that Erling Haaland ends up being with Pep Guardiola, a little like Zlatan Ibrahimovic was with Pep Guardiola at Barcelona, which is to say not a great fit in the end. Mm. And, and my friend debated against me and said, no, I, he doesn't think so. And I, I'm inclined to agree with him, to be honest, but I think it's a worthwhile question to ask because I know Holland and Ibrahimovic aren't the exact same types of players, but I don't think we should just assume that it's a 100% lock guarantee that Erling Holland is going to, be a, a perfect fit with Man City, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how it works out. Where do you feel the uh, the European club game is at in general, Grant? I mean, it, it feels like the Premier League has, has become the the Super League that we, we didn't want to happen, or so many people didn't want to happen. You know, I saw a number today that uh, Nottingham Forest has spent more money than any team, any club team in, in Italy. It just, the, the Premier League teams have just so many more resources than almost every other club in, in Europe. And you can go all, almost all the way down in the Prem. Milan, I, I was talking to an AC Milan executive a few years ago who said, you know, Stoke City has more money than we do at AC Milan. And it's kind of crazy when you think about it that even lower half table teams in the Premier League have tremendous amounts of money to spend because of their huge television contract. I do like the fact, though, that the Premier League is – I think more competitive overall than the big other leagues in Europe. And so I I'm kind of okay with, with the situation. I don't feel like, you know, like we need a super league as much as some of these teams might still be pushing for it. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the premier league season starting. I have to ask you about Cristiano Ronaldo and his situation at Manchester United, making it clear through the media that he doesn't want to be there anymore, wants to go somewhere where he can play Champions League football. How do you think this is going to, to play out and, and how big of a distraction could this be for Man United going into their first season under Eric Ten Hag? If I were Eric Ten Hag, I would want to get rid of Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I don't think what Ronaldo brings at this point is worth the hassle of dealing with him. And we're already seeing some examples that, you know, this latest situation where Ronaldo left the game early and, uh, and other players for Man United did. You can't do that. It's almost like he's trying to get pushed out. And I, I, I think for, even for last season, what Ronaldo brought, he did score a goal, still wasn't worth it in the end for Manchester United. And so I think they'll be in a better position once they can move him to a team. The question is, is there a, a Champions League team out there that is willing to to sign Ronaldo and pay him what he might want, even if he's willing to take a pay cut of some sort? Because I don't think he actually made Juventus any better in the end when he was there. And so, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like Danny and I would be in a better spot without him. You're uh, you're speaking my language there, Grant. I'm a big time Juventus fan, and I I, I hated the signing from day one. Uh, so I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, enjoying this whole debacle that with Manchester United right now. Uh, check it out, GrantWall.com, and check out the Substack. Of course, subscribe. Uh, really appreciate your time today, Grant. Really uh, really enjoyed this chat. 
My pleasure, guys. Take care. Uh, there is Grant Wall. Nothing I love more than hearing people just pile on Cristiano Ronaldo at this point right now. <laughs> and, and everybody was like, how do you not want the greatest goal scorer of all time? Like, he doesn't make the team better. And now everybody sees. Everybody sees. Yeah, my issue with the situation with Ronaldo at Man United at this point, though, is that it's so late on, right? The season's starting this weekend, and their only real other out-and-out striker that that makes sense that they have is Anthony Martial. So this late in the day, you're going to sell Ronaldo or find somewhere for him to go, and you still have to go and find a striker that can replace some of the goals that he scored for you last year. So that's been, as a Man United supporter, that's been the frustrating part about this for me is that this wasn't dealt with earlier in the summer, that we're still talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and his future at Man United here on you know August 3rd, uh, just a couple of days away from the start of the Premier League season. It's it's not the way, I, I'm sure, you know, alluding to what Grant said there, it's not the way that Eric Ten Hag wants to go into his first season as a manager in the Premier League. This is this is part of the problem, though. You know, like when Cristiano Ronaldo is at a club, the club becomes about him. You know, and, and yes, like there's still contributions he makes on the field as a player scoring goals and, and, and all of that, but everything is about Ronaldo. How the team plays has to be about Ronaldo how they perform is about Ronaldo like everything it comes down to he is bigger than the badge and and some of that is not even through his own fault it's just through all the co- accomplishments he's had in his career but I, I I long felt that was the biggest problem with Ronaldo at Juventus and I think it's now a problem for Manchester United and I don't I don't see I don't see the benefit right now that he is bringing to this team. Yeah, he's scoring some goals and he'll pop a hat trick against a relegation-bound club at some point during the season, but is he really improving your club and how they play and the team, how the team performs as a club? I I, I just haven't seen that in Ronaldo for a long period of time. And, and hey, we see this in sports a lot of times. Sometimes you know, players can be great individually, but do they help the team in the overall? And I think that's kind of where Ronaldo and, you know, I don't, I don't want to leave Lionel Messi out of this because I think even he at his age now has some of the same similar issues. Yeah, well, and the other thing with Ronaldo that I think is is more prevalent than that in terms of, you know, how you have to change the way you play around having him in your starting 11 is an unsettled and unhappy Cristiano Ronaldo is going to cause problems at Man United. And, you know, as Grant alluded to, we already saw it with, you know, he came off early and left their, their match early this past week and some other players followed suit. If Ronaldo's unhappy at Man United, it's not going to bode well for anyone at Man United. Mm So, you know, as much as, they may have scoring issues if they just have to get rid of him and they can't find a late replacement to come in and and fill in some of those goals that he'll leave behind. It may still be for the better anyway. Uh, fascinating subject. Uh, just that, is this the way Cristiano Ronaldo's club career in Europe comes to an end? I, just, I, I don't see any club uh, that wants him. It's like one of the greatest of all time, and nobody wants him right now. Not, none of the, at least... He wants to go to a contender in the Champions League, and I just don't see any of those teams, any of those clubs 
ponying up the money and, and wanting uh, the headache right now. No, and to be honest, like the way he's approaching this and the reports out there are that, you know, he wants to get back into the Champions League so he can establish his Champions League goals record. He's got a, a lead on <laughs> Yeah, Messi it's all about him, right Batch. He, wants, yes, he but, wants to get back ahead of Messi in, in the goals conversation for the Champions League of all time. And the most ironic thing about it is, in all likelihood, his best path back to the Champions League is staying at Man United since mm-hmm. no other Champions League teams want him, committing himself and getting them back into the Champions League for next season. But, yeah. you know, is that going to happen? I'm, I'm not sure. And uh, as a Man United fan who is somewhat optimistic about the direction they're going under Eric Ten Hag, it's not what I want to be talking about a few days away from the start of the Premier League season. So, uh, Arsenal. Uh, Randeep Janda is going to be back uh, tomorrow on the people show somehow. I don't know. I don't know how he's apparently still having beers in Europe right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're t- like, what, how's he going to make this turnaround in 20 hours? I don't, I, 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 think, I don't quite get that. I think it might be an old picture. Okay. You think or he's not. like, you think he's like at the airport going through some of his like previously taken pictures. I hate and, when people do that. Yeah. Well, or or at home. He'll be phony. Is he already at home? You think? I'm not sure. Don't act like you're on vacation when you're not on vacation. Yeah. Um, but he's an Arsenal fan. Arsenal's got uh, an all or nothing coming up. We saw the uh, Maple Leafs one on Amazon as well. Which Tottenham Hotspur did one. We we all love. City did as well. Yeah, uh, I am Jose Mourinho was was a big part of the Tottenham Hotspurs one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juventus had one as well, which was great to see Andrea Pirlo getting mad. But um, like one of the best parts about the all or nothing, more so. Like when it's a team I dislike, Batch. I like oh, to yeah. hate watch all or nothing. I don't want to watch my team. I don't want to watch my team screwing up and, and not winning when they're when they're supposed to win. I I want to hate watch my my biggest rival going down in flames. And that's uh, essentially what you'll get to do with Arsenal as they missed out on the Champions League miraculously last year. Although they did salvage what you know could have been uh, an epically bad season, if you remember, they started so horribly that people were talking about them as relegation candidates yep. early on in the season, and then Mikel Arteta kind of salvaged it. So I'm especially looking forward to like the first two or three episodes of it, where they're losing to Brentford on the opening night of the season, and you know I think they went winless in their first three or four matches or something like that. Like that's what I'm excited. Uh, to see, but no, I agree completely. Um, it's something where you're, you want to hate watch it. And that was my problem with the man city one is I think they actually had a really good season that the year that, uh, Amazon did the all or nothing for them. So I couldn't watch it because it was all sunshine and roses and cities doing great. And look at how wonderful Pep Guardiola was. And so I turned it off like an episode or two in, um, (laughs) But I, I thought the Tottenham Hotspur one was really good, especially uh, for a club that had a change of manager in season. And to be able to see some of the behind the scenes of that, I thought was really cool. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this uh, all or nothing arsenal. I think it comes out tomorrow or late tonight. So I'll be hopping on that right away. Um, n- nothing better than hate watching uh, your least favorite team uh, going down. It's arguably better than watching your favorite team. To be honest, like we all watch the Leaf one because of that, right? 
No? Dom, you didn't watch it? I got through one episode, and I was like, I'm not watching it. You're like, I can't do this. No. Soupy, and, and who's this guy? Uh, like, no, I'm done. Uh, so is, uh, I just, I, I had a bunch of Toronto folk be like, I just heard your voice on the All or Nothing. Like, did I get any payments for that? <laughs> You'll get a residual <laughs> check in yeah. the mail. Yeah, I, I I didn't get a residual check either. I'm, yeah, I'm right. Sure You're all your calls. Like half a second. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you, you had to have a goal call in there. Why were you in it? I didn't. They watch. clipped uh, something from Canuck Central, I think. Oh. Or a pregame show. I don't know. I was not contacted. <laughs> we were talking about uh, Mount Rushmore broadcasters. Yes. Earlier, uh, we should put you on there. Why me? You have a long history of uh, calling games. Do oh. You not? It's a great name. Armando Cooper. I think you're the only one that rolled the R's whenever he scored the goal. <laughs> I can't even roll my R's, so mad respect <laughs> for your ability to do that. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, play by play career. It was a long time ago now. Calling uh, Toronto FC matches. You know, like, one thing I will say, you know, since we're talking about great play-by-play uh, moments and broadcasters, and, uh, Batch, I know you'll agree with me on this, but having called matches in, like, a, a booth without windows at certain soccer stadiums uh, and, and in different spots, like, you, you get... Poor vantage points, especially when you're in, uh, you know, smaller rinks or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing beats just actually being at the stadium. And that's the one thing that, man, I, I know COVID has caused a lot of different things, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of the matches, a lot of the soccer matches are called out of like just random booths somewhere or some, somehow in Florida or wherever it may be. And it's just. Like the ability to feed off the energy of the crowd is immense, especially in a big game. Uh, to being able to to call the game and you know, do so many of the things that the greats we've been talking about today were able to do. Just you know, Vin Scully being able to feel the crowd and and letting that breathe while not talking. Like it's so much more difficult to do the job when you're not in the arena of play. Yeah, I, I can't agree more, especially as someone who has called more games from a studio than from a rink since the part of the pan, uh, the start of the pandemic. And obviously, you know, the pandemic was was a, a good reason for that. And, and I can understand completely why we've had to do it. But, um, you know, looking forward to getting back into some of the rinks around the league and getting back to to being there and being in the moment, because, you know, on top of what you're talking about, feeding off the crowd. Um, you know, being able to feel that emotion in the building. Like, you can just see the game better when you're there. Mm -hmm. You see little things that happen behind the play. If a guy goes down the tunnel because he's hurt, you see it when you're there. Those are the things that, that you can't see when when you're calling it on a studio, you know, sometimes thousands of miles away from where the game is being played. So, um, you know, it's, it's a direction our industry is going in that, uh, for my money, is not for the better. And and hopefully it doesn't continue to to trend that way going forward. Uh, it is Dan Richo and Brendan Bachelor. Uh, Batch, your duties are done for the week. Randeep, we assume is taking over tomorrow. That's the plan, at least. 
I was going to say, if he if he gets stuck on a flight like uh, you did once upon a time in Hawaii, <laughs> then give me a call and I can jump back on with you. Uh, Batch, we appreciate it. For producer Dominic Schramati and Josh Elliott-Wolf, my co-host Brendan Batchelor, I'm Dan Riccio. We'll talk to you tomorrow at noon on The People's Show.